0: Welcome to Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. Your host is Becky Olson. Our show is here to help breast cancer patients, survivors, their friends, and family by providing resources, support, and inspiration they can use right now. Here is your host, Becky Olson.
1: Thanks for tuning in. My name is Becky Olson. I'm the co-founder of Breast Friends. I'm also a five-time survivor of advanced stage breast cancer, a motivational speaker, and the published author of The Hat That Saved My Life. You know, I've repeated that so many times. I'll bet you people could actually read along with, without even knowing what... <laughs> just say the same thing so I might have to try to figure out how to how to change that up one of these times but today before we bring our guest on and I'm really excited about our guest today because she's been on with us recently we had a wonderful conversation but we just couldn't quite get it all in so we're gonna bring her we brought her back today for um, to kind of finish the conversation and add some new components and but before we do I want to talk to you about patients and I'm not talking about the kind that go see their doctor I'm talking about the kind that we're supposed to develop in our own spirits and learn how to be patient and and learn how to wait. And it reminded me of, or I was reminded recently of this book called Water the Bamboo. It was a book written by a fellow named Gregory Bell. And I heard that book, or I heard him speak about his book, oh gosh, many years ago, and he gave me a copy of it, and I read it cover to cover, and it's just it's a fascinating concept, and and it came to me at a really appropriate time. <clears throat> Excuse me, Sharon Hennefin, the other co-founder of Breast Friends. She and I had started Breast Friends 20 years ago, and I, I guess maybe this is coming up again now because it's our 20th anniversary. But we started Breast Friends 20 years ago, and like anything, things take a while to to take root and grow. And it's the same thing with with bamboo. And his book refers specifically to the giant timber bamboo. These are the ones that when you go into a jungle, they're tall, really big with giant stalks, and they just grow forever. But when you first plant a, a timber bamboo seedling, just put the little seed in the ground, you bury it just under the soil, and you water it, and you water it, and you water it every day. And eventually somewhere in the three to five year range, you will finally see a little tiny green head pop through the soil. Now, how many people would continue to water that thing every day, every day, every day, without seeing any fruit of, of their work? Just every day you go do it and there's nothing there. Nothing, nothing, nothing. Well, that happens In life, a lot of people give up before they see that little seedling finally come through. Well, with the giant timber bamboo, now I'm going to paraphrase very badly because I don't have a copy of the book in front of me right now. But basically what's going on there is that timber bamboo, before it can ever poke through the surface, is building and establishing a root system. And that root system eventually will cover an entire football field. And I was blown away when I heard that. Now, I know there's probably going to be people that are going to go get this book and read that and tell me, no, you remembered it wrong. That's how I remember it. So if I do remember it wrong, I'm sorry, but I remember it as it covers an entire football field. And finally, when that little tiny green head pokes through, you're on to something. The next day, it will be 18 inches taller. And the next day after that, it will be 18 inches taller. But it can be three to five years before you ever see anything. And most people will have given up by then. Well, Sharon and I did not give up on Breast Friends. You know, it was hard to get it started because neither one of us had any experience in the nonprofit world. I mean, we both worked in for nonprofits as a volunteer, um, doing a little odd things here and there, but never had we been involved in management of a nonprofit. And and it's a it, it takes some learning and some skill and you might not get it right the first time out of the shoot, but um it just stay stay with it and stay patient and just Sometimes you just have to wait, but you do have to water it every day. And every day, Sharon and I watered our, our plant, our timber bamboo, by talking to patients every day. Maybe every day we'd spend a little bit of time tweaking that next little brochure, you know, whatever, even though we had really nobody to give it to on a broad scale. <laughs> We're still working at it. And it took me five years from the time Breast Friends was born. It was born over lunch. It was 2000. I quit my job, my full-time job in 2005, and I was finally able to focus full-time on Breast Friends, and then she quit her job a year later and joined me, and once we were both able to put our full-time effort into it, we'd already laid the groundwork, we'd watered it every day, and finally, about that time is when we started to see some of the fruit of the work that we'd done, and now it's, it's 20 years now since we started all this, and Breast Friends is still going strong. Um, Sharon has since retired and I've kind of backed away from a lot of the day-to-day stuff and I still run the radio show and I love it this is still the fruit that I can contribute and um, but it's it's something that I think we all just need to be a little bit more patient you know and just keep doing the right things and just know that eventually that right thing will pay off and so I just wanted to share that that was just really on my heart and my mind this this last few days and I thought it seemed worthy of sharing. So I hope you got some enjoyment out of that. Again, the book is called Water the Bamboo by Gregory Bell. And it is a fabulous book. And it's not just for people starting a nonprofit. It's for people starting any endeavor in their life to learn how to be patient and and work with it. Just work with it. Nothing happens overnight, right? Even Rome took seven days to build or something. So, you know, be, be patient. Um, all right. So our guest is Katrine Fink. Katrine was here a couple weeks ago. In fact, I think it was February 12th that we had her on the first time. So if you want to go back and listen to that episode and kind of get caught up on where we're going to pick up today, um, you'll get the kind of the full picture. But we're going to just kind of pick up where we left off. But I'd like to introduce her again for just a moment for those of you who didn't hear her introduction. Katrine is a certified life coach and has spent 23 years as a massage therapist, supporting people in healing and creating greater wellness. In 2012, Katrine was diagnosed with breast cancer and navigated her journey as a single mom, which I can't even imagine how hard that would be, and sole financial supporter of herself and her daughter. Her cancer diagnosis taught her many valuable lessons. Katrine has a special love for breast cancer patients and survivors and helping them move forward, embracing life, and recognizing their journey as an avenue of growth and self-empowerment. Welcome, Katrine. Thank you so much for agreeing to come back on the show so soon after your first time.
2: Thank you, Becky, so much for having me back. And I just wanted to tell you I loved that story that you shared about watering the bamboo because it's such a great metaphor for... Creating change in life to positive change. You know, sometimes it just takes a while to seed something and water it and keep at it. And um, in time, if you're faithful, it definitely grows and becomes something really beautiful. So I love that, and I think I'm going to go get that book too.
1: Good. I think yeah. it's on Amazon. I'm pretty yeah. sure he had copies there, and he gave me one that day and signed it to me. I just got to get my hands on it. I'm not quite sure. I got this huge bookcase, and we moved last year, and um, I think it's on here somewhere. <laughs> I would not have gotten rid of it, so I will find it. But anyway, um, yeah, it really is a it's a great book. I really appreciated the way he wrote it too. It was just it's a very easy read, but it just makes so much sense. So, so yeah, I highly recommend that book. And I'll have if he's I'll have to let him know that I I pushed it on my show, and maybe he'll he'll uh, give me a plug back and say thanks. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> anyway, yeah. well, so the last time you were on in February 12, on February twelfth. You talked a lot about self-love and roadblocks to self-love. You know, like, An example of that is, if I lose 10 pounds, then I will love myself. Well, you know, we need to love ourselves anyway, don't we? Whether we lose 10 pounds or not. And, and that's not often an easy thing. Um, we often put conditions on how we honor ourselves. And let's get in the, into the conversation that we couldn't do last time. And let's go right to examples of limiting beliefs because I think that's really where we kind of left off. So you want to talk about that for a little bit?
2: Yeah, sure. So um, often we stop ourselves before we even get started with something that we want to create or change or add into our life with limiting beliefs. And all of us are familiar with these. Some of the words that... um, Represent limiting beliefs are can't, never, impossible. So sometimes we tell ourselves, I can't have what I want in life because I'm not good enough. I can't ask for what I want because I may not get it. Um, I can't love because my heart will be broken again. So these are Mm. all phrases and ideas that we that we often cling to because it keeps us safe, in a sense. It keeps us in status quo, but doesn't allow us to move forward. So they're really limiting um, our potential. We also yeah. have some uh, cultural
1: I was just going to say, that, make, that makes perfect cultural. sense, because I think people do that. You know, we we have an idea, right. but then we come up with our, our own personal excuses why we shouldn't try that or can't move forward with that idea. So, yeah, that's that's very good. What else? You started to talk yeah. about cultural.
2: Yeah, that's okay. Also, in our culture, we have some limiting beliefs that, um, you know, we kind of chuckle at them, but many of these, we kind of integrate them in our thinking and Some of those beliefs might be money doesn't grow on trees. So that kind of indicates that there's a restriction on how much money you can have or you can't always get what you want, you know. And um, granted, maybe that's true to an extent, but it can also really limit your capacity to think creatively and really maybe go after what you want. Another Ah. one I've heard a lot is I'm waiting for the other shoe to drop. So it's (laughs) always this fear that, yeah, you you know, something good comes into our life, but then we're like fearful about it because we're afraid it's going to be taken away again, right? So these are all kind of fear-based limiting beliefs that stand in our way from really going after what we want to create in life.
1: Yeah. Let me say something Um, on that last last one. Just a second, Katrina, before you move on, on the waiting for the other shoe to drop. Mm -hmm. I think. When it comes to like a cancer patient, someone who's you know still in the midst of of the battle. and you know, like right now I'm still in the midst of this stage four cancer battle, and I go in and ha- I have scans every now and then and and I'll get you know, a, maybe a little bit of good news and then I'll get a little bit and maybe not so good news. And that's kind of the equivalent of waiting for the other shoe to drop. So it's I, I get that. I'm just not sure how to how to overcome that, how to address, how do we stop worrying about the other shoe dropping? Is there is there a technique for that, or are we going to get into that in a little bit?
2: You know, I think it's um, it's a process. It's not something that happens overnight, and I think it's um, it's about really remembering to focus on the glass half full versus half empty, and allowing yourself to when you have that bit of good news to to be in it and to really take it in versus um, right away putting up a defense and saying, okay, uh-huh. it's great news, but I'm not not going to really embrace it right now because I'm waiting for the bad news again, right?
1: Yep, that makes sense. So, I'm writing that down. Focus yeah. on what's good right
2: now. Right, right. Yep. Just being with that good news and, and really taking that in. Yep, I love that. Okay, good. I have my next scan on Monday. Um, I'm, I'm going to do that. <laughs> <laughs>
3: okay.
2: Yeah, and then just the thought, I am a victim. You know, that's it's a limiting belief, too, because there's always two sides to every situation. And, you know, we have to remember that there's always going to be people who are better off than we are and people who are worse off than we are. And often it's a conscious choice we have to make. Are we going to look at life in the perspective that we are a victim, or are we going to choose to see our potential as a victor and and empower ourselves to move forward and um, to go beyond those circumstances? So, again, the thought, I am a victim, belongs to that idea of limiting beliefs. Okay. Yeah, and I know, you
1: know, I think we've all known people that kind of go through their life and they're. Always a victim. I mean, if it, it, always a victim. It's it, no matter what seems to be happening in their life, they they automatically kind of shoot to that victim role. That that's something that's being done to them, and you know, and and it's yeah, it's hard. It's hard once you kind of get into that place, and then as the friend of that person, it it's, can get kind of tiring to always be trying to pull them out of that. And um, I'm sure there's tech there are techniques for that. Maybe we can. We can get to some of those. So let's talk about thoughts and yeah. how our thoughts matter. Because I know that you know you can look at a problem two ways. You can look at the problem and focus on the problem, or you can look at the solution to the problem and focus on that. And why don't you talk about that a little bit and what does it mean to be problem focused versus solution focused?
2: Yeah. So so often um, when we face a challenge, we become overly focused on the problem rather than on the solution. And um, I'm going to give some examples of that in a moment, but what happens is we get stuck in a negative loop, and that actually closes off our brain to thinking creatively to get ourselves um, moving out of that problem. And that's what um, negative emotions of stress and fear and anxiety and anger does. It actually shuts down the brain's capacity to to think broadly and creatively, which is why we don't want to stay stuck in those kind of feelings. But being solution focused. So for an example is, you know, oftentimes in my past I've been in circles with girlfriends and maybe there was somebody who was single and what I'd often hear is, Oh, you know, there aren't any more good guys out there and I'm never gonna find the right one. Right? They're all and gone. I keep yeah. meeting all the frogs, <laughs> <laughs> and my I want is prince. never gonna come. So these, this is an example: if you're wanting a relationship, and your challenge is meeting the right person, that you're focused on the problem instead of on the solution. So turning that around might be, um, first of all, valuing yourself and saying, "Okay, there are many fish in the sea, and I deserve a good one," and maybe sitting down and journaling about what qualities you're wanting in that relationship or in that person and then taking that list and reading it before you go to bed every night and visualizing that and seeing that coming into your life. And then taking some action steps, like maybe getting involved in some activities that you like to do, where you can meet new people. So this is solution focused, right? You're fo- you're mm-hmm. focusing your attention, you're focusing your thoughts, you're focusing your energy, your consciousness, your actions on on the solution versus on the, the problem, and it mm-hmm. it puts you in a positive mindset. It it um, helps the brain think creatively and energetically you're setting yourself up to receive that. So it's it's a different uh, approach and and it's an approach we're not really taught, right? In school. No, so in fact, let me, at, let me ask, ask you learn. about
1: that. Let me ask you about that. So if you're if you're a parent and you have kids, you know, ranging at various ages, what age is too is, is old enough now to to learn that technique because I think a lot of young boys and girls settle because they don't know They've never thought about what they're actually looking for, and they make a lot of really dumb mistakes, because we all make mistakes, um, but what, you, how old can you, can a child be before you start to teach them? I think, because I think that's great, value yourself, what do you want, you know, I, and I know when they're young, they don't know what they want, but but they can still learn to value themselves, right? And I just, it seems like like the younger the better, or are they too young at some point?
2: No, I think you can you teach that right out of the womb just by the way you speak to your child. You know, I I I had an inkling of this when my daughter was born, and I I chose never to say she's a bad girl. So I might say, you know, what you're doing isn't isn't good. It's not going to give you great results, or it's not great. You know, it's a bad thing you're doing. But I always made sure that I would let her know that she is a good girl, so that she would. Take that belief in, and make that hers. So, and there are actually children's books that are written to help build self worth and uh, self esteem in children. And I, I'm, I wish I had a list of them to share right now, but I don't. But there, I don't think you're too young at any point. I think validating children and helping them to value themselves and know that they can go for their dreams is really important.
1: That's great. Well, listen, we're going to go out to break, and when we come back, we're going to. I'd like to start the conversation on, on the autonomic nervous system. So everyone stay tuned. We'll be back in just a
4: minute. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America.
0: Thank you for listening today. Breast Friends needs your support. We rely on donations to keep our doors open and to keep this radio program alive. Please consider making a tax-deductible donation to Breast Friends. You can visit us at BreastFriends.org. You can also like us on Facebook at Breast Friends of Oregon. Be sure to tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time for Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. Visit BreastFriends.org and contribute today.
3: When was the last time you felt free? It's time to uncover that feeling again with the compassion of a crossing shield and the power of a card that opens doors to the best hospitals and medical centers in all 50 states, giving you the freedom to love, to dream, to dance like no one is watching. Regions Blue Cross Blue Shield. Live fearless.
0: Female cancers affect women. But women's effects are felt throughout our families, workplaces, and communities. Electa is driving advances in precision radiation medicine across our portfolio of devices. By enabling treatment that is highly responsive to changes in tumor shape, position, and biology, but doesn't compromise the health of surrounding tissue and the patient, we protect the moments that matter in the lives of women with female cancers and everyone they touch. Learn more at electa.com. That's E-L-E-K-T-A dot com.
1: Welcome back to our program. We've been talking with life coach Katrine Fink and how we as survivors can shed some of that old, icky stuff that we've been carrying around with us forever and and move into some of the new our new lives, feeling empowered and with ideas and thoughts. and And during the break, I looked on my bookshelf and I found my book. I'm so excited! I'm gonna have to read it and see if it did say football field. <laughs> and, um, but he signed it, Becky. Go with hope, Greg Bell. So um, I've had this book for a very long time, and like I said, I've read it cover to cover. So. Um, and it's funny how you can do that so many years ago and something just stays with you. Anyway, all right, we're going to come back and we're going to talk a little bit about the atomic, uh, sorry, not atomic, autonomic nervous system. I've never heard that term. I've heard of atomic, obviously, um, but autonomic is not something that just flows out of my mouth. I get tongue-tied kind of easily. Anyway, but, um, <clears throat> excuse me, so let's let's talk about that and I know you there's still some thoughts that kind of lead up to that. so why don't you just pick us up where we need to where we need to start from?
2: Yeah, so we were talking about how our thoughts matter and what happens is that the thoughts we think create feelings and the feelings that we have influence the autonomic nervous system, which which is the part of the nervous system, that is responsible for unconscious processes of the body, like the heart rate, uh, breathing and respiration, digestion, reproduction, so things we don't control consciously. Um, so the feelings influence the autonomic nervous system, which in turn releases chemicals and hormones into the body, which impact the state and the condition and the health of the body. And so the autonomic nervous system has basically two settings um, or two divisions. One is the sympathetic division or setting, which is responsible for fight-flight. And the other one is the parasympathetic, which is responsible for, um, for resetting. So coming back to homeostasis, healing, resting, digesting, and rebalancing. And most of the time... So when we are kind of in balance when things are in homeostasis, we are the parasympathetic division of the nervous system dominates and is guiding the processes of the body. What happens when a stressor comes in, which is any kind of a major change or anything that creates imbalance in the body, mind, or emotions? The nervous system shifts into the parasympath into the sympathetic state, which is a fight flight. Which is a valuable state, and we need it. We need it if we're going to be in a fight, or if there's danger, or even short term is valuable for um, a deadline, meeting a deadline because it, it um, gives us energy. The only the only problem is that when we stay too long in that fight flight state, that's when when um, things begin to change in the body that are harmful. So, the fight flight state. It releases hormones. It releases adrenaline and cortisol, which give us the energy to fight or to run or to be super focused on a task. Um, But then the way it was meant to be is that we shift back into this rest, heal, rebalance state. And in our culture, we have so many stressors that are no longer physical, but they're mental and emotional. We have this high, fast-paced technology that we're involved in. We're constantly being bombarded by news now and media, which we didn't have 50 years ago. Um, there's a lot of expectations on us as people. So the, the problem is that when we are constantly living in this fight-flight state, that's when um, disease really has a place to, to show up in the body. So... So the Wait, fight, no. flight, when we
1: talk about disease showing up, so the disease can either be the the outcome of that stress, or it could be the reason for the stress, right? I mean, it sometimes we get a disease completely out of the blue that we didn't expect to have there. I mean, I know my first breast cancer diagnosis came out of what I perceived as the blue, um, and it caused a tremendous amount of stress in my life. But I guess maybe I had stress before that that may have led to to causing that or allowing it to to grow. Can you share on that just a little bit more because I, I don't want I want to make sure I'm understanding you completely?
2: Yeah. so um, definitely disease or illness um, can be can be a stressor and cause stress. Um, and then the other side of that equation is that if we're constantly under stress, what happens is that in stress mode, our immune system is repressed, and our heart our heart rate is increased. Um, the body produces more sugar than normal,
3: mm-hmm.
2: and and digestion and reproduction are slowed down as well. And so, when you're in this state too long, your immunity is depressed for too long. You have these elevated sugar levels and heart rate levels going on. And that eventually leads to heart disease, to obesity, to diabetes, to cancer, to inflammatory conditions, etc. So that's where the danger is
1: then. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. I I know I was in a very high-stress job before, you know, before my cancer ever showed up. And it was a sales job. You don't think of sales jobs as being high-stress. But when the philosophy of the company is you're only as good as your last sale and your next one better be better, (laughs) you know, even more, um, Mm -hmm. that can Put a tremendous amount of pressure on on people who are just trying to, you know, do their job and do it well and and not feel that constant beating up that you're not doing enough and um, and that's that's a that's a stress and I know a lot of people live live with that stress because they're in jobs that they hate because that's what's being done to them, so it might be time for them to uh, take take a look at that and see what what else might be out there for them. I, you know, not, not suggesting everybody go out and quit their jobs, but sometimes we have to think about that. You know, if the job is what's causing all the stress, then I had kind of had this belief that the job was causing stress, which then led to cancer, which then led to all of this insurance that I had to pay for through the job that I had that was causing it to begin with. And to me, that was that was my definition of insanity, staying in a job to have the health insurance that I probably wouldn't have needed if I didn't have that job. <laughs> I don't right. know. It was kind of weird but okay so thank you for clarifying that though um so so that was fight or flight and what now tell us the difference between that one and then the rest rest heal
2: yeah so the other the other division is the parasympathetic and what we really want to do is is come back to that as quickly as possible. And the interesting thing is there's no action required to get into it, but rather it's a letting go. So Mm. when we can learn to let go of that stressor or we can let go of, um, yeah, it, it's it's a process of because people ask well how do you make yourself or what action do you take to shift back into parasympathetic and and you don't it's really about releasing it's about letting go and i think those are powerful words because i think we hang on to control so much and that keeps us in stress mode too yeah so um and then when we when are when we are able to let go and we're able to shift back into parasympathetic state, the body has an amazing capacity to heal, and one of the um, components that that it produces, it's a chemical called nitric oxide, and nitric oxide, what it does is it actually helps heal the immune system again, it helps heal the vascular system in the brain, it has antiviral and antibacterial properties. so the the action of letting go, releasing, relaxing, of moving back into balance actually is medicine for for our body. So it's so important to be aware of when we're in stress mode and and to um, do things well, you know, or release things and to let go and to take certain to make certain changes that allow us to move back into relaxation.
1: So I, you talk about the addictive power of stress. I never thought about stress as having addictive power. What does that mean to you?
2: So stress creates an, creates energy, and it can create a very narrow focus of, of the mind. So the brain actually can get laser-focused under stress, and, gets, and you get a boost of adrenaline. And people actually become addicted to that response. And so they like that boost, that feeling of being energized and being clear in that moment. And so they look for that in life. And and actually, it's a really common phenomenon to be addicted to the stress mode. Mm. Well, you um, hear people say all the time, then, "I I
1: thrive under stress." Well, maybe for a minute, but but can right. a person can right. a person that's really exactly thrive what there? Can you thrive there very long? In the
2: moment, it gives you that energy, but long-term, you're actually really hurting yourself. You're not thriving.
1: Yeah. So staying in that stress mode is very destructive over time then, right? Yep, absolutely. Okay. Well, let's talk about thoughts and behaviors that can help us return more quickly to the rest-heal-safe mode. You know what, so when we're in that fight-flight mode and we're just really stressing out over that, what are some thoughts and behaviors that we can utilize to help us get back into that place where we're more balanced and and where we're resting and where we're healing? Can we talk about that for a few minutes?
2: Yeah, so the first thing you can do, and I do this often, is to slow your breath down, especially your out breath, because what that does is it actually creates a chemical change in the brain, which slows down how the brain is functioning. So it, it will slow your breath rate down or it you slow your heart rate down. So just being mindful of breath and making sure that you slow it down and take deep breaths, that will already begin to shift you right away back into parasympathetic state, into that rest heal okay. state. And when
1: you describe slowing our breath you- down, like just before we move on, breathing slowly in through the nose and then blowing it out slowly through the mouth, is that... A- Yes. Seeing people do it different ways. So in through the nose, out through the mouth, but just deep and slow, right?
2: Yep, deep and slow. In through the nose, you might want to pause for a few seconds and then out through the mouth. Okay. Slow, you know, four to eight count breaths. Okay. And you you can do that anywhere. That's the great thing. You know, you can do that quietly um, in the middle of a meeting. You can do that in your car. I often use that um, in the spur of the moment just to kind of Breathe and slow down, and that slows down your thoughts too. Yeah, that's a good idea. Powerful tools. Yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, and then there's a lot of research around meditation and how meditation is one of the strongest buffers against stress because that also um, takes you out of that monkey mind thinking and allows you to kind of go inside and. Um, detach from outer circumstances, and it creates an armor. So people who meditate regularly actually respond less quickly to stress. They have more buffers against stress. That's a really powerful tool. Does it matter what we meditate on? No. I mean, meditation can be done in so many ways, and I think that is a hiccup for people because sometimes they think they need to do, like, um, some really detailed meditation styles that yogis do or they need to sit on a mountaintop or whatever funny ideas people have. But meditation is really just about um, using breath. You can focus on your in-breath, on your out-breath. It's about quieting the mind. It's just about dropping in and connecting to the heart space. So there's so many ways to do that. And there's actually a lot of meditation apps out there now that you can use to help teach yourself yeah, I think it's
1: been a confusing thing for people because when you're meditating, are you supposed to be praying? Are you supposed to be chanting? Are you supposed to be, what are you supposed to be doing? But it sounds like the only thing you're supposed to be doing is slowing yourself down and trying to clear yeah. your, your head a bit. You know, so that, I think right. maybe we've made it overly complicated,
2: haven't we? Yeah, I think we have. Um but there's, there are a lot of wonderful meditation teachers out there now that you can Google and read more about and get some tips. Um, but it's, it's, they even use it now in the military um, because they found it so powerful. Um, so they yes. teach, they teach um, the military, um, I think they call it tactical breathing, and it helps keep them centered and calm, especially in, in the midst of combat or, or um, challenge. That makes perfect
1: sense. And then how does that differentiate yeah, from mindfulness?
2: So mindfulness is, it's similar, um, but it's a practice that you can do every day. It's, it's really about dropping in and becoming aware of your inner environment versus just being um, attached to what's going on outside of you. So... It's becoming aware of your thoughts. It's becoming aware of your feelings. Um, it's actually becoming aware of where you are in space and time. Like I like to do, I kind of use mindfulness as a practice when I take my dog for a walk. I focus on my breathing. I feel, I smell the air outside. I look at the roses that my neighbor has, or I feel the pavement under my feet. So it's becoming really present and that takes you out of that fight, flight, that anxiety, that monkey mind, and kind of drops you back in and connects you to...
1: I love that term monkey mind. mind. I, I haven't heard monkey mind before.
2: What does that mean? I love that term. It's, just that, <laughs> it's that overactive state of the brain where we're like in panic and anxiety when we're overthinking, uh-huh. uh, when we're ruminating. That's the monkey mind.
1: Okay. Okay, that makes sense. All right, well, we have about a minute till the next break, so um, we'll, if we don't get all the way through this list, then we'll just pick it up on the other side of the break. But let's talk about, well, that, that's kind of what we're just talking about, getting out of our heads and into our bodies. Is that yeah. kind of what? So that's all connected to that. Yeah. Okay.
2: Um, yeah, how about exercise? So when you're in stress mode, one of the best things you can do is go exercise because okay. you can't exercise and worry at the same time. I don't know if you ever tried jogging and, and worrying. It doesn't work very well. So Oh, no, because I
1: fall if I do. <laughs> I, I won't see that little <laughs> pothole in the road, and I will just go down. So, no, I can't do that. It's one or the other. <laughs> I usually pick worry, but, you know, I'm trying to work on that.
2: <laughs> yeah, so exercise is a great way to get out of that headspace and, and drop into your body. Okay. Um, Getting massage and body work also um, is very calming for the nervous system and gets you more connected back into your body rather than just being in your head. Okay. Yep, that's being good. In so sure. Well, let, you know what? Let's pick that one up on the other
1: side because I think there's probably a little bit more to say, and we're yeah. we're up to our break right now. So let's hold that thought and come back to it. So stay tuned. We'll be back in a minute.
4: Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America.
0: Thank you for listening today. Breast Friends needs your support. We rely on donations to keep our doors open and to keep this radio program alive. Please consider making a tax-deductible donation to Breast Friends. You can visit us at breastfriends.org. You can also like us on Facebook at Breast Friends of Oregon. Be sure to tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time for Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. Visit breastfriends.org and contribute today. Female cancers affect women, but women's effects are felt throughout our families, workplaces, and communities. Electa is driving advances in precision radiation medicine across our portfolio of devices. By enabling treatment that is highly responsive to changes in tumor shape, position, and biology, but doesn't compromise the health of surrounding tissue and the patient, we protect the moments that matter in the lives of women with female cancers and everyone they touch. Learn more at electa.com. That's E-L-E-K-T-A
4: dot com.
1: Welcome back to our program. If you've been enjoying this show, please, please, please share it with your friends. Subscribe to it. Go online to breastfriends.org and make a donation. You know, our show is, we put it out there for everyone to enjoy and to learn from and to be inspired from and help change behaviors, whatever we need to do as cancer patients. We want to live full, better lives. And so we put this show out here, but it, obviously it's not free. <laughs> so if you have it in you in any way to go online to breastfriends.org and make a even a small donation, a $5 donation, if all of our listeners did that, this show would be set for some time. So please consider doing that. But in the meantime, share the show with your friends. Let them all know about it because as our numbers go up, um, it's just helpful and and the numbers are good now. <clears throat> Excuse me, We have a pretty good sized uh, global audience and we're very, very thankful to all of you who take the time to listen to us. So thank you for that. So now we're going to come out, this is our last segment. Um, we did want to pick up when we're talking about thoughts and behaviors that help us return more quickly to that rest, heal, safe mode. You just started to get into the concept of, of nature and gardening. Why don't we just talk about that for just a minute or two and then we're going to move on to habits because... I think habits are really, really critical. So um, so why don't you talk about about nature for a minute?
2: Yeah, nature is a powerful healer. And um, gardening, walking, um, going to botanical gardens, or just being outside in your own yard and connecting with nature is very calming for the nervous system. So that's a great way to drop into your body and just... um, be in nature and and experience that healing aspect also creative endeavors so singing art um, those kind of painting doing pottery that also allows you to be in your body and um, gets you out of that fast paced monkey mind that we talked about earlier so that's a Mm -hmm. really great way to uh, create calm and um, to do creative projects Again, I love that term, monkey mind. <laughs> Just,
1: I am writing. I have a dog. I have a dog. We call him monkey because he's kind of got that monkey mind. I think but <laughs> gets a little hyper from time to time. But okay, thank you. That makes perfect perfect sense. So let's move on in this last segment to talk about habits because you know there are, we have good habits, we have bad habits. But bottom line, everything we do is a habit. I mean, you know, everything we do is a habit and. Some of those things are good for us and some of them are not so good for us. So why don't you talk about habits that keep us in that stress mode, the, the, the not good stress mode?
2: Yeah, hanging on to resentfulness and unforgiveness kind of keeps us attached to um, feelings of anger and frustration, which creates stress. Comparing ourselves to others, that's kind of how we keep ourselves, um, beating ourselves up, that creates stress frustration and upset and stress, ruminating over past mistakes relates to that as well, keeps us stuck in the past. Also, watching, reading, and exposing ourselves to negative messages through the TV, through the internet, through Facebook, through negative people, through um, dark movies, Um, those are all things that create keep us in stress mode.
1: You know, let let me just comment on that real quickly, because I think for a lot of cancer patients, you know, as soon as we get that cancer diagnosis, one of the first things we do, it may not be about watching a TV show specifically or a a movie, although we could get ourselves into that place, too. Um, I tend to watch Hallmark movies when I'm feeling like that (laughs) because they're kind of uplifting, but um It's this whole idea of Googling your disease, and all of a sudden you are reading so much stuff, and you might have a mild form of something going on, but by the time you're done reading all the negative stuff and all the, the blog posts that people put out there, you know, pretty soon you're self-diagnosing something you don't even have. And, you know, not, it's not to make fun of anyone. We, I think we've all done it at some point in time. It's like, oh, my gosh, my cancer, it's, it's got to be worse than, than they're telling me because of this, 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 and this. And one of the first pieces of advice we tell our, our patients when we start working with them is please, please, please stay off Google for a while. You know, if you want to join a support group, you know, an online support group, ask for some referrals because not all support groups are even – created equal some are very positive and and they're there to really help each other and other ones are just places to go and gripe about your medical professional and and you don't want that you want the ones that are going to be there to support each other so ask for referrals and then you know try out a couple different ones if, if you really want to do something online but stay away from trying to evaluate your your illness and and try to figure it all out yourself talk that's what your doctor is for you can take your concerns to your doctor but but really try because you can go down a rabbit hole very, very quickly when you do that. So, sorry, I digress a little bit. But I think it's a really key point that you brought up, um, for, especially for cancer patients. So, okay, next. <laughs> sorry.
2: <laughs> yeah, no, that is It's actually really, really valid and, and really important to be aware of that. Um, some other things are not setting appropriate boundaries, not saying no when you should be or saying yes too much. Um, isolating yourself and not asking for support or help. There's this kind of over-independence that we have in our culture, which is actually very detrimental. It is. And again, because that
1: affects so many cancer patients, you know, so many of us think we can get through this by ourselves. And, you know, some probably can. But I think most women, if you'll talk to them about it, even those who maybe chose to go it alone, if they have another opportunity to do it again, they'll make a different choice that second time because going through something like this by yourself is, is hard. I mean, it's hard to go through it at all. But to try to go through it alone is even more difficult. So, you know, trying not to isolate. You know, joining a support group, being where people are that are that understand what you're what you're dealing with. Um, and then when you have friends that reach out and say, "What can I do to help you?" It is hard to know what to say to them. But one of my favorite things is, well, you know, here are some things that that we need. And if any of that speaks to you, you know, please, we'd appreciate anything you can do. It's much more honest and much better than just saying, oh, we're fine. Thank you, though. Appreciate the offer. Because, you know, you're not fine. And it's okay to admit you're not fine. Um, believe me, it's I've turned turned down help and then really wished I hadn't. Because when somebody offers to help you, it's a gift. And when you say no, you're rejecting their gift. And people feel good when they can help. So, So be open to accepting help when it's offered. And if it's embarrassing, that's, that's how you do it. Well, here are some things we need. If any of that speaks to you, you know, we'd so appreciate it. And then that way you're still giving the other person a choice. But anyway, okay, um, the next one you had here was over-focusing on problems. Talk about that yeah, for Yeah, which
2: is what we had talked about earlier. Um, so being problem-focused versus solution-focused. Oh, you in got it. Mode. Okay. Um, and I, I just want to go back for one second to isolating oneself. It, that was actually one of the biggest lessons I learned also in my journey uh, through my cancer experience because I was a single mom and my family does not live in this, on this side of the country and mm-hmm. um, the ties to my family were not strong at that time. So, But I had other people show up like friends, um, colleagues, clients, and they would bring food and they would help me, they would drive me to appointments. Um, and so it was a real learning of how to allow myself to receive that and to embrace that. And, you know, I had been the strong single mom for so long, that it was really an opportunity to let that go and allow people to support me. And it made my journey so much easier by just being open to receive.
1: That is so great. Thank- I'm glad you went back and covered that because, you know, it's not just your family that can help you. Other people will step up. Um you know they don't always know how, and they might do it awkwardly at first. Um, but they're at they're trying. So just being aware that they're trying and being open to that. So thank you for taking us back there. I think that was that was a good add on. So um, how about hab- how about habits that help us heal? Let's get to that because I don't want to run out of time without giving people some very practical solutions on how to make this a better journey so how do we, how do we yeah. change things to, to heal
2: so creating authentic connections with people that are uplifting and affirming um, is really helpful having access to humor and laughter I've, I've heard so many stories about people who laugh themselves back to health even through, through some difficult diseases So, humor and laughter is really powerful. You know, I've been speaking
1: on this subject since 2001, and part of my talk is called Humor, Happiness, and Hope. That's my kind of signature topic, but it's all about, it's not all about, but uh, the first part of it is all about laughing, and we laugh, and we have a good time, and and I'll have people come up afterwards and say, you know what, I came to this because I, I knew I would learn something, but I didn't expect to laugh. Thank you. Thank you for helping me do that. And they feel so uplifted when they leave. And it's not because my words were magical, but I make, I made them laugh. I'm kind of a goofy person anyway. But, you know, they were able to laugh and enjoy the moment. And, you know, that's that's such, such a powerful tool. After going to see a funny movie instead of some dark, ugly movie, go see something funny and uplifting. It's great. So, um, yeah, humor and laughter is hugely important especially for those of us going through a yeah. tough journey right now. So, um, okay, sorry, yeah. we're going to run out of time. I don't want to, <laughs> I have a tendency to kind of plug in here and then I'm keeping <laughs> my eye on the clock at the same time. So you got you got two minutes left.
2: So I'll let All you right. just go so s- sipping through those. So another thing is contributing to the well-being of others' acts of service because it takes you out of your own problems and you focus on mm-hmm. on generosity, on kindness, on love, on um, love keeping focused on what is working in your life, so having an attitude of gratitude. I use that a lot in my journey because it is easy to slip into victim mentality. And if you remind yourself of, okay, I have so many loving people in my life supporting me or I have this thing going on that's really great, um, it it keeps you focused on looking at the glass half full at at Mm -hmm. what is going well. That will help you stay out of stress mode.
1: Absolutely. Having a
2: spiritual practice.
1: Um, yeah, a prayer, a prayer life or reading the Bible, having, or yeah, just.
2: having a and and that you know that speaks to people differently. So depending on the background and their their faith, um, believing in in something bigger than yourself, being able to mm-hmm. let go and have faith that. That there's a greater energy out there who's got the whole picture in mind, and um, mm-hmm. allowing yourself to be supported by that. So that that's really a powerful piece, I think. Oh, I agree. Um, yeah, and then you know we talked about how detrimental it is to to listen to negativity and and dark movies and things like that. But we can turn that around, and we can invest in reading stories that are affirmative and positive. There are so many stories about people who conquered unimaginable challenges and and made it through and overcame. And I think reading things like that is very uplifting and creates hope. Mm -hmm. Um, Watching shows and movies that are uplifting, that's also really helpful.
1: Yeah, I agree. Singing, dancing. Yeah. We're we're out of time. So uh, singing, dancing, all the creative things. And playing. um, Yes. And accepting yourself for who you are, and and we move forward, right? That's right. Awesome. Well, we are we are actually out of time, and I'm so glad, Katrine, that I brought you back um, to kind of finish this conversation, and I think you finished it beautifully. We ha- may have listeners who really want to learn more about you and your life coaching practice, and if they do, how can they reach you? Give me a, just an email real quick.
2: So it's katrine at com.
1: K-A-T-R-I-N-F-I-N-K at katrinefink.com, right? Yes. Yes.
2: Okay, perfect.
1: Okay. Excellent. Well, with that, we are out of time. Thank you so much for giving me the time today again, and we really appreciate you being on the show. We will be back next week, and until then, remember, there is always hope, and we are here to help you find it.
0: Thank you for listening to Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. Please join Becky Olson again next Wednesday at 12 o'clock noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. There is always hope, and we are here to help you find it. We'll talk again next time.
2: Thanks again for listening to the preceding program.